Welcome back for our evening service. Sure. We're going to pick up in John chapter 8 tonight. We've just, just got through John chapter 7. Christ has finished uh, his teaching in the temple at the feast, the Jews' feast of the tabernacles. He's uh, finished pleading with them and uh, to, to come and to know and understand who he truly is to believe and now he is going to take a little break uh, as we start in john chapter 8 um, he's going to take a little break go into the mount of olives spend some time and then he's going to come right back to the temple and begin preaching again and the pharisees and the sadducees are going to try and entrap him uh, in his doctrine so Let's get started. John chapter 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they uh, might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw no none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Again, we thank you for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and hear your truth. We thank you for the wonderful day down at the park, the beautiful weather. Uh, the conversations we were able to have and the, the people that came and did the crafts. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for such an encouragement, such a beautiful day. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us tonight, that you would watch over uh, Ashley and the kids and the Houstons as they travel back from Nebraska, that you would uh, watch over Miss Pam as she's at work and Brother Grant as uh, he's at home taking care of some things at home. I just pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct, that you would watch over and you would protect us. Keep us safe, but most of all, Lord, help us to hear and understand your truth. Not just to hear it, Lord, but to be doers. To be doers of your will so that we can truly know and be your disciple. So God, please guide and direct tonight. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus has just spent uh, a week, almost a week, teaching in the temple. He's exhausted of pleading and arguing with these men to truly believe who he is, to to know and understand Him so they can know and understand He who sent Him. He's given us a bit of prophecy and that He told us that uh, He was going to go away and where He went, none could find Him. And now, He's tired. He's worn out. He needs a rest. In another prophetic act, He retreats to the Mount of Olives for a little break. Christ often uh, goes by himself to pray after a long session of teaching. And this is, while it's not what the Bible tells us he does here, it's no doubt that that's what he does. 
He's going to spend some time alone with his father, learning, knowing, understanding, and communicating with him. But he heads from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, the very place that he has uh, said that as he is going to leave this earth, he's, he's prophesied that he's going to uh, go unto him that sent him, and, and he's, we're not going to be able to follow him there. And uh, This is where the Mount of Olives, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, this is where he was taken. This is where he was arrested. Uh, this will soon play a very big part in his life. But he needed this time to rest. He's these times where he's expelled so much energy on people that are just not understanding. I I I, I understand him a little bit in these times, and I'm sure most of you do too. Is uh, you've obviously you've dealt with somebody that just obviously is not getting it. You've taught and taught and and tried to be a blessing and and tried to help and, and some people that just didn't they just didn't get it whether it's uh, work whether it's something about God whatever it is we have these times where we're just exhausted but soon Christ is refreshed and the first thing he does when he's refreshed is he returns to the temple early in the morning and he sits in the middle in the midst of the temple and he begins to teach again he goes right back at it and this is important for us as we we need to understand that we're going to go through these times. We're going to, we're going to have times in our lives where we're just run down, we're worn out, we're, we're, we're burnt out. We need to take time to get refreshed, to get, to get back to knowing God, get back to communicating with God, and then get right back to work. Because that's, that's where God needs us. That's where God wants us. And that's where we can commune with Him and we can know that He is there, that we're not alone. But He's soon interrupted as He's teaching um, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Sanhedrin, they, they bring a woman and they interrupt him in the middle of his teaching. And I find it interesting here that uh, in the last couple of messages, in the last week or so, we've been looking at how they were trying to kill him. They were trying to arrest him. They, 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 they were trying to discredit his doctrine. And now they're trying to trap him. They figured out that they don't have the power to take him. It's not his time. So now they're going to try and trap him in uh, with the law of God. And this sounds very familiar. This sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 6. If you'll turn over with me there. In Daniel chapter 6, we talked about it a little bit this morning. Daniel uh, was a captive, was a, a man of Israel that was taken captive when Nebuchadnezzar uh, invaded Israel and, and conquered Israel. And uh, Daniel was put into prison and, and he was kept there for many days and he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. And he was able to uh, become better and live better with what he knew that God wanted him to have rather than with what the king was giving and he was able to, to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And, and now he's served through Nebuchadnezzar. He's served through Belshazzar. He's served through Cyrus, king of Persia. And, and now he's serving under Darius, king of Persia. And Darius has, has put him second in command over all of his kingdom. And he, he's got uh, 12 princes that are below him that, that report directly to him. 
So Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And they go through and they lay out this plan to trap Daniel. That uh, they, they, want, they persuade the king that no man should come, should pray to any god except for the king. And, and they find Daniel praying three times a day and they, he's cast into the lion's den. And we know the rest of the story. It sounds very familiar to what is going on here. To me, it strikes a chord as the Pharisees and the Sadducees are now bringing in this woman who was taken in adultery, taken in the very act. And they present her to Christ and they say, Lord, or Master, they call him Master, what, what should we do? What should be her punishment? Knowing full well that Moses commanded in the law that she should be stoned to death. We find this in Leviticus 20 and verse number 10. Leviticus 20, verse number 10, the Bible says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. They both should be put to death. Notice, though, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the scribes, they didn't bring the man with them, they only brought the woman. We don't know why that is, I just find it interesting that they only brought her. But Christ, knowing why they're there, just stoops down and begins to write on the ground. There should have been no question. If these men were morally just and righteous men that were truly following God, they've caught her, there's more than one witness, judgment has been passed, she should have been stoned. And the man that was with her. Yet, here they're bringing this question to the Son of God. What's what's the hiccup? Why? But Christ doesn't answer their question. Instead, he just he stoops down on the ground and he draws in the dirt with his finger. Why would the Son of God be silent on this occasion? He knows the law just as well as anybody else. He knows that they've sinned against God. She's absolutely broken God's law. There's a clear punishment prescribed for breaking that law, and Christ is silent. And we need to understand that Christ's moments of silence are just as important as his moments of revelation. He's silent here because they already know the answer. They've already given him the answer. They said, Moses in the law says she should be stoned to death. In my head, I see this as uh, Christ is giving them the dad look. In ignoring their question, one, he's choosing not to be trapped, but two, he's, he's giving them that dad look saying, you already know the answer to this. I've already answered it. If this is truly what happened, do the punishment. 
But then they, they continue to push, and they continue to push. He didn't need to answer their question because judgment had already been passed. The crowd cannot stand this silence, and they ask him again, what should be done? They're not going to like his answer. He stands up and he says, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. Christ give, gave them their answer. It's not the one they want, but it's an answer nonetheless. And it's a just and righteous answer. If you're without sin, then cast the first stone. If you are not in the same boat with this woman, then cast the first stone. Now, I've heard this that... that and it's presented, it's not been outright said this way, but it's been presented in a way that, that Christ doesn't agree with their interpretation. That's not the case at all. Christ has just said, she's guilty. He said, stone her to death. But make sure that you're righteous in your judgment first. Make sure that you're righteous in yourself first, that you're right with God first. His answer causes all that are gathered to pause and take stock of their lives. Each one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, began to look at their lives and see not just one time, but many, many, many times where they had sinned against God. From the sin of idolatry to the sin of rebellion, which is as the sin of witchcraft. So the Lord knows what else. It may be one of them that was caught in adultery with this woman. It wasn't uncommon. But they had all sinned against God. And the penalty for all of them was death. How are we any different? Starting from the eldest all the way down to the last man left. They leave, leaving the woman there alone with Christ. Something that each one of us should remember is we might think that we know what's going on in the lives of those around us, and we might be tempted to start throwing stones, but we must never forget what's going on in our own lives. And re remember that even though we're saved and we're clothed in the righteousness of God Himself, we're still evil and wicked sinners. We still have that old sin nature. We are not perfected. We are not sanctified. We're in the middle of a process. God sees us as just and righteous. We are clothed in His very righteousness. But while we're still walking here on this earth, we are still making mistakes. Christ looks up from drawing on the ground and He sees that this woman is alone that everyone is left and that she's still alive. And she, he asks her, Where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She says, No, no man, Lord. Christ's reply is, Then neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now notice, he didn't say that she wasn't guilty. He said he wasn't going to condemn her. There's a difference. Guilt is the judgment. Condemnation is the punishment. 
she had been judged guilty. But in His grace and mercy, He chose not to condemn her for that. The very one who could have held her responsible, who could have, who was righteous and holy and could have passed that judgment, chose not to. This brings to mind, um, well, first it brings to mind Romans 5 8, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it also brings to mind uh, a friend of ours from Missouri. His name's Raymond Newman. And Raymond is a, a very interesting man with a very interesting story. Raymond is uh, probably 60, um, has some children that are my age, and then has a daughter that's younger than Josiah. Uh, the youngest daughter um, and a couple of years ago it's been probably six seven years ago now it was before we ever got to Missouri Raymond got in some trouble and uh, he was uh, found with some drugs and was charged uh, with uh, 28 felony counts or charged with felony counts that were the punishment that he was looking at receiving was 28 years in prison. And the judge uh, took into account after uh, several things had happened, he took into account some things and he put Raymond on probation. He had to go to drug court. He had to go through probation. So uh, Raymond had uh, gotten saved. He had gotten involved in the church there in Pleasant Hill and he started doing his drug court. He started doing his, his uh, addictions classes and, and working. And he, he was attending church and growing. And God was working in his life. All the way up to about two years ago, Raymond had to go back for his last court date. For his, his probation time was up. And he was to go before the judge. And the judge was going to decide whether he was going to prison or not. And God had worked it out in such a way that the very uh, sheriff's deputies, police officers that had dealt with him, that had arrested him, uh, the prosecutors that had prosecuted the case in the first place, all stood up and testified for Raymond. They testified of his changed character, of what God was doing in his life. And when it was all said and done the judge came to a verdict. There was no doubt that Raymond was guilty. There was no doubt. He had, he had already been judged. His sentence had been deferred for a little bit so he could be on probation. He had already been judged. But the judge decided in that moment, after seeing what God had done and the testimony that Raymond had, that he was going to dismiss all, or drop all charges with prejudice meaning that they were going to be completely wiped from his record it was going to be just as if he had never done any of it no longer was he looking at 28 years in federal prison now he was able to go and freely raise his young daughter and her uh, her, 
his niece as well, um, who had been taken away from parents because of drug issues and other things. But um, and now Raymond actually is a janitor for the courthouse uh, because of some previous stuff. He'd he'd already had felony convictions. He'd already served time, and because of that, he can't work in the jail. But he now works side by side with the prosecutors and, and the, the police officers and all those that are coming in and out of the courthouse, the judges. He works side by side with them, cleaning their chambers and, and taking care of the courthouse. This is where Christ is at with this woman. In his judgment, he has chosen not to pass, or in his benevolence, he's chosen not to pass judgment for her sin. He has chosen to give her grace. But his last words to her, go and sin no more. Now, we don't know anything more of this woman. We don't hear of her again. We don't know if she became one of his disciples. We don't know what happened after that. But we do know that he went to the cross for us, for her, for those very men that brought her before him, trying to trip him up, trying to find fault in his doctrine, trying to find a way where he was going against God, that he went to the cross for them. So many times I feel like we are not any different than those Pharisees and those Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, in that we see someone who's struggling, someone who's having a hard time. You know, I think about Scotty. I think about uh, the man that I was talking to today that uh, was in the full leathers, uh, you know, looks like a rough and tumble biker. And how often we see those people and we judge and maybe we're like the, the priest and the Levite as the, good, as the, the man is laying in the street uh, beaten and left for dead and they, they cross to the other side. We see something and, and we choose to avoid that or, or we, we don't want to be involved. When we should be going and being that good Samaritan and giving grace and doing everything we can to help. Now don't get me wrong, we still need to protect ourselves. We still need to protect our families. We need to not put ourselves in a position that we're going to end up where they are. I'm not going to, if I was in this situation here with this woman that was taken in adultery, I'm not going to go and, and jump into bed with her to save her. But just because she was in that position doesn't mean that, that she needs to be thrown away. That's the thing that the Jews couldn't understand. They're so stuck on the law. And unfortunately, the law of their making. Not just the law of God, but the, the 600 other laws that they added on top of all of that, that. That if you are not doing exactly these things, you're not right. Ignoring the fact that they're breaking those same laws. We talked about it this morning as we looked at Vashti and her disobedience to the king, knowing full well what was going to happen to her, that, that she was uh, putting herself in a position where she would be killed. 
for her rebellion, but choosing to make that decision anyway. We need to make a choice. We need to make a choice to serve God or to serve ourselves. And sometimes, unfortunately, serving God means we have to be like Christ was with the publicans and the sinners, reaching down and helping pull them up out of the miry clay. 